Hey guys, so many of you loved episode 44 with Davey Blackburn and we had such a huge response to that episode that we followed up with his wife, Christy. So this week we have an amazing interview with Christy Blackburn. She is fantastic. She is so beautiful and lovely. And, you know, before we hit record, she actually said, Hey, can I pray for us really quick to make sure, you know, that we say the things that people need to hear in this interview. And I thought that that was so awesome. And that's just such a good explanation of the type of person that she is. I know you're going to love this episode. So just stay tuned. Christy, welcome to So What Else. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to finally get to talk to you. So for people who don't know, you are the wife of Davey Blackburn, who was on episode 44. Yes. And so he said toward the end of our conversation, he was like, you should totally talk to my wife. Like she has an incredible story. And so I am so jazzed that I got you to come on here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I honestly, I get so honored when people ask me to share a story just because I think again, it's God's story and he always has one for us and it takes the power out of it and it helps a lot of people and gives, it gives purpose. So thank you again. Absolutely. I agree with you so much. Like, I just like, we talked a little before hitting record, you know, like this is a storytelling podcast, you know what I mean? And it, you know, when I started this podcast, yes. Did I generally think that that's like what it was going to be? Yes. But it definitely took on more of that than I even anticipated. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I started and I was kind of like, you know, it'll be like friends coming on and sharing their stories, but it'll be a lot of chit chat. Right. And we do have a lot of chit chat, but like, we've had some like really, really impactful, powerful stories that people have shared. And it's always like shocking to me how people are so impacted by people sharing their stories, even if from the outside, it doesn't look like they have anything in common with them. It's absolutely Do you know what nuts. I mean? Oh yeah. We have a podcast called the Nothing yeah. Is Wasted Podcast and I will listen to it and there will be a story on um, infertility. Sure. And you know, by God's grace, I haven't gone through infertility. And what's crazy is he put healing through the story of infertility, nothing that associated with what's gone, what I've gone through, but the yeah. words that come out through someone's story, it's kind of like me too. Like when someone yes. goes through pain, they get pain. And totally. So that's what's so helpful about this. Absolutely. Like, you know, Davy's episode that what he went through, that's like a very, very specific, unique thing yes. that not a lot of people, like I would venture to say that nobody that listened to my podcast has gone through that exact thing. You know exactly. what I mean? Yep. But so many people reached out to me and they were like, I was blown away by this thing that he said, mm. or that thing that he said. And the other thing is that people all pick out different things they do. that stick out to them from the yep. episodes and from people's stories. So that's why I just think, like people sharing their stories is so important, so powerful, so meaningful and life-changing for people. It really is. Oh my goodness. I mean, even if, so if you're like even a faith, but you know, a believer yeah. uh, following a faith, like in scripture and revelations, it says they will overcome by the power of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Yeah. And so I think that people sometimes when they have a story, they just think, oh my goodness, I went through this hard thing. I'm just going to keep it close to me and not tell anybody. But I think yeah. there's so much power you will overcome. Mm-hmm. Once you tell your story and you hear other people's stories, it actually gives you empowerment to even speak your own. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. I love it. So I'm really excited to hear about you. So before we really get into your story, can you give us just like a 30 second, like, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I actually, I'm Davy Blackburn's wife, but, um, I actually was studying to be a PA when we met. So a mm-hmm. physician assistant, uh, love holistic type medicine, got into that kind of world. 
uh, had a daughter before we met. So then we, when we met, he had a son. Mm -hmm. So we started blending when we got married and then we had our own kid as well. So we have three kids at home, eight, seven, and two. So it's, Mm. it feels crazy. And then in the midst of that, we decided to get two puppies, which I do not understand. I thought I had, I had dogs growing up. It was easy, right? But now that I own my stuff, they pee and poop on my stuff. Totally. They they bite up everything. I have to take them out all the time. I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like, so it's a crazy life. So I, I, I work here in town. I, uh, I'm a cookbook author, an accidental cookbook author. That's amazing. I created these meal plans. And the whole reason behind all of this is I, I just want people to be in healing and in health. And so I yeah. think so many people were walking around like zombies half the time, whether it's because we've had a painful experience, whether we've, you know, are eating the wrong foods or we have mm-hmm. all kinds of different diseases. My, my whole why in life is just to help people lead into healing. I love that. So wait, tell me, how are you an accidental cookbook author? I love that. How did this happen? You know, it's just so funny. I always told the Lord, if you open a door, I'll walk through it. Like even whether I believe I can do it. And so you're you're talking to a girl who hated cooking, uh, junk food addict, like no other. Um, And I just realized my my daughter got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder Mm. um, like seven years ago, eight years ago. And I just realized then like food was a huge thing for her and it helped actually prevent and cure what she had, obviously she's going to always have it, but meaning like it just didn't stop progressing through Mm -hmm. diet. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, back then there was nothing that existed to remove some foods of inflammation and her specific inflammation was gluten dairy. And obviously for all of us, it's sugar. Mm -hmm. And so there was nothing in there like that would really help me. So I just started creating different recipes and then people would ask just like, Hey, can you share that recipe? Cause my daughter has an autoimmune disorder, my Mm -hmm. kid or whatever. And so literally I just started collecting all kinds of recipes throughout the years. And I realized what better way to share this with everybody than just to create a cookbook? So here I That's am, amazing. you know, seven, eight years later with a cookbook. And it's just so random. <laughs> That's awesome. It's called Linen and Roots, right? The cookbook is called uh, Root and Marrow and okay. then the meal plan. Yeah, that's coming out as linen and roots. So okay. a lot of roots, lots of roots in there. Yes, I love that. All right, well, we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and everything. Awesome. Yeah. But I would love to hear you share about your story. Like as Davey mentioned in uh, the episode when he was on, he was like, oh, my wife has an incredible story. So I went back, you know, and did some, did some digging, did some listening. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, like this girl has been through it. Like through, through it all for real, like your whole life. So I would love for you to take us back, you know, to your childhood. You know, I know that you were raised as a pastor's kid in a Christian home. Can you kind of talk to me about that? Yeah. So, I mean, you, when you think about whoever your parents are, you think that that is like, that's the lens you see the world in, you know? And so like my lens was you're, you're, you go, you go to a Christian church, you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you do the right thing in public, but then behind closed doors, you're not really who you say you are. And Mm -hmm. so really in all, in all regards, like I, I, I'm very careful with what I say about my dad, because I want to respect him as the person who raised me. Um, but there, again, there's so many things as, as, as people going and walking and stumbling through our faith, when we see someone who's supposed to live at a higher standard and we, mm-hmm. we mimic that standard and we think so highly of them that when they fall short, we like demonize them and we crucify them. And that's totally. wrong. As mm-hmm. an adult, we should, we need to have the right mindset of that. That person's not Jesus. So they don't hold the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a kid, they hold the throne. Oh, absolutely. And so again, I, I I saw my dad as the end all be all. If he's a pastor and he's talking about God, then he must know who God is and he must be mimicking and exampling and modeling God. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's not the case. And he was a struggling person and he had a horrible childhood. 
And so really I, I dealt with a lot of abuse, emotional, mainly emotional abuse throughout my years with him, which caused a lot of just foundational, just, you know, just a very foundational time, which was very confusing for me. And so mm-hmm. when you, if you fast forward to when I was 19, that's when everything went crazy. Like he ended up being diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenia. Okay. Um, and, and there was a divorce of my family. There were just even talk of that. I was in danger and I had to go live in another house where he didn't know where, where I was at mm-hmm. uh, just because of just safety. And as a kid, like, you know, 19 years old, you're still a kid. I mean, even oh, though yeah. you say you're an adult at 18, your prefrontal frontal cortex doesn't develop until you're like 26. So like, yeah. you're not able to make really mature decisions without the guidance of your parents. And so as a 19 year old feeling like, man, my dad's unsafe for me, he might attack me. Like your world just gets, just kind of, it explodes and it implodes really. And mm-hmm. so I was trying to just hang on and hold on by anything, but my faith my foundation, my faith was a workspace foundation. So it's like, if I do the right thing and I say the right thing, then I'm going to go to heaven. There was Mm -hmm. no relationship with God there. And so Mm -hmm. when all this was happening with my dad and I'm hiding from my dad, it's like, I fear God as well. And where are you? You know, Mm -hmm. you're not my protector. And so I ran to alcohol. I ran to, uh, I mean, you think sex, drugs, rock and roll. I I ran to everything that was against like my quote unquote faith. Mm -hmm. But really, it wasn't even a faith. It was just a culture and a tradition. I showed up to church. It was like a country club Christian, I called myself. I showed Mm -hmm. up, I wore a cute outfit, and I did my check mark. But then I left. And so when it comes to my dad with all of that, I mean, again, when you think about it, you're going to run to the thing of the temporary high when you don't understand what God wants. And so I Mm -hmm. ran to temporary highs in every aspect until I remember uh, God, again, when you think about God and his his whole thing about him is that he wants a relationship with us. Mm -hmm. So he's going to prepare the way. And so when I was 19, this person at this campus ministry kept on inviting me to this uh, little event that they would have every week. And I ended up going to this big event that they had. And at that event, I remember them saying that like, like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to, you know, cry and crawl, like just come to Jesus, give him your Mm -hmm. burdens. And at that very moment, I realized like, I don't have to work my way into heaven. Mm. This is not a works thing. Like Jesus took his blood. He died on the cross and he took my burden. So like, even this burden of me feeling unsafe, like he took all that, even all the things I've ever done, he took all that. And I can just go to him humbly at the cross and accept that and Mm. just walk in grace. Yeah. And so that whole, that whole time was very, very difficult. Like the yeah. way to explain the people is I remember in high school, just wishing my death, like wishing Ugh. a car would hit me. I, I mean, I would never, I was never suicidal, but I would just pray every night. Like God, just take my life. Like, yeah, this is so hard to live in such an abusive house. Yeah. It's so hard to keep on going. And, um, the, someone asked me recently, now that you're out of that, Christy, what would you mm. have told your younger self at that mm. time to give yourself advice? And I just told her, I said, you know, what's crazy is we look at the scriptures and it says that this light and momentary troubles, like light Mm. and momentary. And Davey and I, my husband, he lost, if anyone doesn't know, he lost his late wife to a murder Mm. and he, God calls that light and momentary. Like that could, when we think, when we compare our pain, we're like, everyone that we talk to tells Davey, I've never had pain like you. I would Mm. never understand it. And he tells them pain is pain. It does the same effects in our bodies. But for yeah. us, that's the that's the crazy pain that we could not understand. And God calls that light and momentary. So I, what I told that person is that he says, not just that it's light and momentary, but he compares it. 
and he compares it to the eternal glory that we're going to have in heaven. Mm. And so when he says that this life is a breath, to me, I'm like, man, that didn't feel like a breath. That felt like a very long season. And I'd rather that death tasted so much sweeter than taking another breath. Sure. But, but when I think about when he calls it light and momentary, I'm like, I can live another day. And so that's why I told her, I was like, this is going to be light and momentary. I promise you, you will get through it. And heaven is going to be so much sweeter than this. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that it's incredible that you, like you said, you ended up at that campus ministry, you know, thing and you went and you felt like this like spiritual experience. I think that that's really incredible that you were even open to God or spirituality at all. Because I can imagine like, being a child and your father is a pastor. And so he goes on Sunday and like, he's the pastor and you come home and he's very abusive to you. How, what did you think of God? Like, how were you able to still like even have room for God in that? Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you, no matter what you do, you, your mind can't like separate the two. Sometimes it's like how you see men is sometimes how you see God, how you see your father is how you see your heavenly father. And so it was, it was very hard to separate the two. So when I would read um, in scripture about the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I remember like, oh, I can fear you. I know what that looks like. Yeah, totally. You're the God who can kill everybody in a flood and have mm-hmm. this one family live. You're the God that can kill everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like I can understand how you're that God. I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that he was also Jesus, the one mm-hmm. who is so gentle and would just hug you and love you and wipe your tears. I'm like, how did those two go together? And they do. So he's like, saying that I'm the God of the Old Testament, but I'm also the God of the New Testament. And so what's so neat is that, this is what I tell people over and over, it's not a sprint when it comes to that changing your whole mind. I had 19 building blocks of the wrong foundation. I was just starting new building blocks. At that point, I was like two years into my faith, you know, after a bit and like just really struggling with certain concepts of God. And someone told me, you have two blocks compared to your 19. Pray about it and ask God specifically you say you're Jehovah Rapha, you're my mm-hmm. healer. Show me how you're my healer. And God mm-hmm. wants to, He's he wants to be this seen. He wants to, but we're blinded because of every distraction in this world. And so when you ask that, like it was so neat to just continually see him show up at everything that he says he is, every promise that he says, I would, I would pray his promises. I said, God, you said that, you know, you have overcome. Show me how you have overcome because this doesn't feel like I'm, I'm overcoming the situation. And he would show up. And so Mm -hmm. that's the thing. I think sometimes when we are skeptics, when it comes to our faith, we're not skeptics seeking for the truth. We're skeptics seeking for everything that's lies and not truth. Mm -hmm. And so again, the example would be, you go and look at Noah's Ark and you're like, see, Lord, you're a horrible God because you just killed everybody. But they aren't looking for truth of what that actually the whole story means. Mm -hmm. And so that, that for me is how I went through. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm open. I want to hear. And it's an aspect of your just heart, just wanting to seek it and he will show up. And Mm so really it was more God than me doing the work and all of that. Yeah. I think that's really such a good point. What you said about how you had 19 years living in an abusive situation. And then, you know, once you, you know, rediscovered faith, made it your own and started off on, you know, a healthier path, you were frustrated that you're, you know, you didn't quote unquote feel better, like quicker, you know what I mean? And that you still had baggage and and issues from your childhood. But it's like, that's such a good point. What you said about 
you had 19 building blocks of dysfunction. It's not going to fall away in a breath. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that people, we forget that. You know what I mean? Like we have years of doing dysfunctional things or being in dysfunctional relationships or whatever. And just because maybe you get healthier or you end that relationship or whatever it is, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be like all sunshiny right away. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you got to think about this. We always talk, I always go back to scripture. And again, I think, I think it's so imperative that we understand what God is trying to say to us. He's trying to tell us in his word, but it's so hard for us to understand because our brains want to keep on seeking like lies in it, you know? And mm-hmm. you think about scripture with the Israelites, there were slaves for 400 years. God takes them into Egypt and he could have straight shot it, just gone straight to the promised land and came. Yeah they would not have understood the promised land. I think about kids these days. Mm-hmm. And I think about when you give a kid everything before they even want it, how spoiled and entitled they act. Mm-hmm. And they're not grateful and they don't understand the gift that they were given. That's the same thing with us and the Israelites. So the Israelites, if they would have went into the promised land, they wouldn't have understood the promised land. Totally. And so what he did is he spent that 40 years preparing them for the promised mm-hmm. land preparing them to let them know like, hey, you got to trust me. And mm-hmm. this is how you have to trust me. And I, I call it the 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 desert of like trust falls. And I think that's what God does for us is that he's like, hey, this is another trust fall. Okay, yeah. this is another test. It's another trust fall. Do you trust me to be your provider? Do you yeah. trust me that I'm also in this and that I have control over this? And so sometimes I think we see God as the controlling narcissistic puppet master. who's yeah. like, I got you, I'm gonna control you. But that is so not who God is. He really wants what's best for us and he does it for our good. But sometimes we just can't see it. Totally. I love that. The desert of trust, trust falls. That's, that's like such a good way to put it. Um, as just an example of the type of stuff that you went through growing up, I remember hearing you share about a story of one time you were in the car and you were too loud. Would you share about oh, yeah. that a little bit just to give an example? Yeah. I mean, so I, I always try to just reiterate, cause I, I know like, again, when I think about my dad, I know he could possibly listen to this and I want to yeah. respect him in every possible way. And so when I think about specifically that story, you know, the facts about it was that, you know, he was driving on the highway and I was laughing and being too loud in the back seat, And he was warning me that I was being too loud and I was just laughing. And so he ends up pulling over on the highway um, and just starts strangling me. And what's crazy is back then I thought that was normal. And yeah. so it was just like, oh, I cannot believe he did that. That's mm-hmm. normal. But what my psyche did and what my body did was it reacted. And it was like, I always explain to people that when we have our dreams, when we have triggers, it's like we have a file cabinet that's open and that the files are just kind of floating around in our brain. And so what happened was when I get strangled and my body can't figure out, like it can't put those two to two and two together, like that's seems normal, but it's not normal. So my body's reacting is I would have nightmares of being strangled and I'd be waking up in the middle of the night, panting and screaming, like someone strangling me. So when I went to a therapist about that, and just in general, they were like, Oh, that specific thing, that was probably from their past. So we need to grieve that and understand that that was not normal. That's not okay. You were a victim of that. Let's file that away in a healthy way by grieving it and then put it away. And what's neat is after I did all that and it was torture, I allowed myself to feel the feelings that that was not right. That mm-hmm. is not okay for someone to put your, their hands on you like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped having those nightmares. Mm-hmm. And so my body stopped having those triggers and that PTSD from that situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing. That is something that has been coming up over and over again in this podcast. Mm. So many people that I've had on here have said essentially what you just said in slightly different words. Like I had Mm. Rachel Henry on, who I know that you know. Yep. 
So, and she talked about, you know, EMDR and her healing through that. I had Amber Newberry on who had been raped as well. And she talked Uh. about these healing prayers and being able to learn how to, you know, um, just file those traumatic experiences, you know, and all of that. And I love how you've basically just said the same thing. You know what I mean? And like all of these different people that have come on this podcast that have been through these traumas, everyone over and over always agrees. Like when you've been through a trauma, your brain doesn't know where to put it and you have to find a way to process through it. Usually with the help of a licensed professional counselor, you know what I mean? And, and Jesus, you know, and it's like, and you're able to process through those things in a healthy way so that it doesn't have to plague you forever. You know, the hard part is personality. So yeah. like, I don't know if you guys talk about Enneagram on this at all. Yes, we do. We do. Okay, we had a whole okay. Enneagram episode. So everybody knows what you're okay, talking about. You guys are person. <laughs> well, I'm a seven. And if okay. we know anything about sevens, sevens run from pain. Yeah. So we, so we would be like the stuffers or the ones that are in denial that pretend like it never happened. And so totally. what you have to understand when you like with your personality, you don't have to put a number and who you are as an Enneagram number, but you need to understand like when pain happens, can I run to it? And can yeah. I work through it? And when I get that trigger, can I be aware of that trigger and say, why is that trigger cry through it, grieve through it, mourn through it? Or am I going to run the other way? And yeah. so, and you got to understand your propensities too. So now I know my propensities, thank God. And so mm-hmm. when things happen and, and I get triggered and I have an emotional response to something, I say, okay, God, I hear you. What do I need to do? Instead of doing, I'm fine. Let me numb it with A, B, and C. And that's yes. the biggest thing. We're numbers. A lot of us are runners and numbers. Yeah. And so we, nothing will ever, I love this. I love, love, love scripture for the aspect of, when you think about the, the wisest person out there was King Solomon. And he said, nothing, everything is meaningless under the sun. He had everything. I mean, he had all mm-hmm. the money, all the women, all the things you could ever ask for the life that everyone dreamed of. And he was like, nothing's going to fulfill you. And it's so true. And so I just think that sometimes we miss the fact that when something happens, we can run to Jesus and he understands. And that's so hard to do because it feels like he's physically not there. And that's why I tell my kids all the time. Like sometimes my brain can't grasp, like go to God right now. It is really, really hard. But I think the more times you do it and the more you see him show up, the more Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is what I need to do. Yeah, totally. So... Okay. So you went through all of that around the age of 19 ish. You, um, you got out of the house, you were away from that. You went to that, uh, campus ministry. Yeah. The conference. And you kind of had like an experience. You like met God truly for the first time. Would you say? Yes. Oh yeah. And so that kind of shifted things for you. So talk to me about your healing after that. Like, tell me about your forgiveness journey with your father, or do you feel like you have been able to reach a point of forgiveness or what has that been like for you? Yeah. And so, I mean, you think we can say it's like, uh, the Christian cliche thing, because I was forgiven so much by Jesus, like I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to forgive. Yeah. That's not human though. When we think right. about our humanity, it is very hard to forgive someone who has done so much hurt to you. Yeah. And when you think about, um, I actually met some, a couple who their son was murdered and they forgave their murder and actually now are friends with them and <sighs> like spend time with them. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. That's supernatural. Yeah. Like, that's those some, people, yeah. like you can't do that by yourself. And so when it came to like forgiving my dad, I remember hating him and it was 
having power over me. And so I just knew, I'm like, I don't want this power over me. I mean, I hate men so much. I'm so jaded by men that my bucket that I would put men in is they're all narcissistic, that they're all going to use you. I mean, I had so many buckets for guys. They're all liars. They're all, you know, you fill in the blank, like what I thought about men. Mm -hmm. And so he, I mean, it started with him as an aspect and also the guys I dated. And so then you can, you can say, Oh my, through experience that this is true, which it's Mm -hmm. not true. All guys are not like that. My husband's amazing. But so when it came to that, I knew there was power. And so I just remember praying to the God, I I had an amazing friend. And again, guys, when we think about the coincidences of all the people that come in our life that help us to guide us to a new path of like healing, Mm -hmm. there's no way it's a coincidence. We know that God has put that person in our life. And so God put so many people in my life at that time to talk to me about forgiveness. And one mm-hmm. woman specifically, it was years ago. She was like, Christy, like, if you're going to forgive, like you need to forgive. And that mm-hmm. means that you need to stop nailing him on the cross for what he did. And you need to put the stake in the ground. And you need mm-hmm. to say, today is the day I chose to forgive my dad. And then yeah. when the anger comes up, cause it will, when you get mm-hmm. triggered later on about a, a memory that he did something to you, you say, Nope, I chose to forgive him. And then you ask the Holy spirit to like, help you forgive him. And what was so beautiful is that that worked. Like, but I think that it took the time of me prepping to get to that point, to the person showing up at just the right time for me Mm -hmm. to pray that prayer, to take that action and to head, to think in my head all the time, like, no, I will forgive him. So the litmus test to that though, and this is what I tell people is that like, you can say you forgive somebody, but then like, what is the litmus test to actually know that you are truly forgiving them? So my hate turns to compassion. Yeah. And so now I think about my dad and I think, man, like I hate that he had to go through what he did as a child. I mm. really do. He was abused, but like horribly physically abused all the time by his grandpa, you know, his dad and who wasn't his real dad. I mean, when I think about his story, I'm like, he has a really dysfunctional story and he showed up every day for us and he tried the best he could. And so the fact that he caused a lot of woundings for me, I'm like, man, I just, I hate that. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I wish him well. Mm. And so that's, that's a little beautiful. I love that. I love that. Like the fact that you were able to, and it's not that you stuffed it. You weren't like, oh no, no, no. It wasn't bad what he did. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Like you didn't stuff it. Like you dealt with it, like with yep. God in therapy, like in therapy, yep. grieved through it, acknowledged the hurt. And I love that. Like a good test is that you don't feel hatred toward him anymore. You feel compassion and you can acknowledge that he had a a messed up upbringing. He went through a crazy amount of stuff. And like you said, he also was diagnosed bipolar. So you know that he had mental health struggles and things like that. And so you're able to like hold both. You're able to hold the truth, which is that was not right. The things that he did to me, but- also, I have compassion for him and that oh, yeah. he was not, you know, he was starting from behind because oh, yeah. of the way that he was raised and things like that. I mean, once you take a look at someone else's story, it takes the power away from what they did to you. Oh, totally. You know? And so also the other aspect is people would ask me then, okay, so because I forgave who, you know, fill in the blank, whoever that yeah. is, can I, should I, should I bring them back in my yeah. life? Mm-hmm. And when I tell them, I was like, first of all, you need to stop shooting on yourself yes. because no, the answer is always no. They do not have to have full access to your life again. Absolutely. If they prove themselves unsafe, like I, I, I teach it like this. It's like, okay, if you have a wide open door, mm-hmm. that's what it used to be with that person. It was a wide open because you trust them, you allow them in. Well, they broke that trust. So yes. now the door's starting to shut. And once it's like fully broke, 
you can fully shut the door and say, you know what? I forgive you, but you're just not safe to be in my life. Or if you're, if it's someone like a family member, you're like, okay, I'm going to give you a chance, but your my door is cracked. Okay. Yeah. Shut again because you're unsafe. And so I don't think having someone who was an abusive person in your life is ever healthy unless they've showed remorse and signs of change. And so again, that people sometimes will go back to their abuser and I'm like, stay away, like yeah. stay away from your abuser until, until someone else in your life who loves you, who is very wise can tell you that they're safe because yes. sometimes our gauge is off. Totally. I like that. Yeah. That's so important. So how do you feel like your relationship with your father growing up has impacted the way that you parent? That's a great question. I have never been asked that one. You know, I, that was my fear. I I remember growing up saying, I want kids, but I don't think I'm going to have them because I don't, Mm. they always say you end up being the parent that you struggle with the most that Mm. you did not like you rubbed wrong, you know, you you got rubbed wrong with. And so um, I didn't want kids. So I remember when I got pregnant, I cried and cried and grieved it because it wasn't uh, planned. It wasn't a planned, yeah. uh, pregnancy. However, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, my mm-hmm. daughter. And then when I started parenting and just doing, um, like the natural reactions. So my natural, natural reaction is actually the opposite end of the spectrum that I am mm-hmm. heightened to yelling. I am heightened to any aggressive, uh, direct contact with my kids. So like I remember um, parenting in like the whole spanking versus non-spanking thing. Like yeah. I was heightened because I'm like, you can't hit a child. Like you mm-hmm. just can't touch them. And so it's just crazy to see how God through healing of that slowly of parenting actually healed me in a lot of areas as I was a kid. So I started understanding my dad. I started understanding why his mood would be irritable at times. I, I, mm-hmm. So it gave me more compassion actually as a parent. Yeah. And then when I married Davey and I saw... Oh my goodness. When I saw the way he parented our kids, when they would do something wrong and he would sit with them for like 30 minutes, not shame them, correct them and teach them the right way. I remember like being so bored to death. Like, why are you taking so long? Just get in and out and tell them that they were wrong. But to see that, it just hit me. I was like, this is the father. Yeah. It says he is slow to anger. He is Mm -hmm. so patient wanting with us, not wanting anyone to perish. That is loving kindness brings us to repentance. So mm. that, that's our father right there. And so I'm like, I connected scripture to the, to God, the way mm. my husband was to my God. So this is what they say. Like if you have an emotion laden experience trauma, mm-hmm. it takes an emotional laden experience to actually heal that trauma, the same kind mm. of experience. So wow. Davy's experience with my kids actually just changed the way I viewed everything. So now now if I'm a little irritable and I'm like showing them like I'm frustrated, that's okay. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's okay to tell my kids I'm frustrated. You shouldn't have done that. Instead of feeling like I would cry, I would actually leave the room and cry if I was frustrated with my kids. Oh, so like, yeah. I'm a fun mom. They're going to have wounds. Like, yes, totally. So totally. Anyone who's gone through some kind of abuse, we take that into parenting all of the time. And I'm of so course. thankful though. God, again, he prepared the exact person that would heal me through that. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That really, really is. So, okay, I know that after you went to that conference and your life was changed and like you met Jesus for the first time after that or quick, soon after, you kind of started traveling a lot and doing like mission work kind of everywhere. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so honestly, again, as an Enneagram 7, we're spontaneous and adventurers. And so any, I mean, I could just, anytime I could travel, I would. So I lived in Brazil 
for a summer, um, Cambodia for a summer. Um, I lived in Mexico for about four years. Yeah. And so I just traveled a lot, but what was so beautiful is God used all those times because I would, it was in a way I was kind of running from my pain still Mm -hmm. and using the whole like badge of honor. It's for good. It's for missions. It's for ministry. And so here I am helping girls who are in human trafficking I remember one night we were, uh, I was holding one of the girls. She couldn't speak English. So it really was just more of just kind of like the normal human interactions, like how you can have a kind human interaction with someone without any language. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm holding her and I'm just crying, praying for her. Like, God, like, how could this happen to her? How could men betray her, abandon Mm -hmm. her, neglect her, abuse her, treat her this way? And just like crying up to him, he's like, Christy, like you felt all those things. You were that too. And that was like the first time I allowed myself to say like, I feel just like these girls. Mm -hmm. I remember the story when I was there, they talked about how how people in Cambodia see girls and Mm -hmm. women and how they see men. They say that women are like uh, rags. If you drop them into dirt and they get dirty, they'll never get clean. But if you drop gold and gold is like men, if you drop gold into dirt, it actually can just uh, rub right off and it holds its value. Mm. So basically saying that once a woman lost her virginity, she has no value anymore. And so these girls in human trafficking, they were raped. They were sold as sex slaves. And here they are now saying that they have zero worth. And I remember crying and praying, God, show her her worth, like show her worth. And he just said to me at that moment, like, you don't even think you're worth anything. And so again, like it was just, it, God will speak to you if you listen. And so I used, I used my pain and I was trying to purpose it without even realizing it into these people yeah. realizing that I felt the exact same they did. Um, same thing with Mexico mm. city. I worked in an orphanage there and there was this boy whose story mm. was that he was in the orphanage because his parents, well, he just had his mom, his dad abandoned him as a kid and um, his mom would ch- uh, chain him to train tracks to a railroad <sighs> track to go party at night. So leave him in the middle of the night by <sighs> himself at a train track chained. Aww. Like when you think about that, it's like you would never Insane. think, yeah. how can that ever happen to a kid, your own child? So he was there and I'm sitting here crying on my knees like, God, how does this exist? How do these kind of humans treat kids this way? Like, how could you do that? How could you have his father abandon him and neglect him? And he's like, hey, your father abandoned you too. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I never told anybody this. I was like, oh, okay. I, I refuse to feel like I'm abandoned. That's that's pathetic. Like, I'm not abandoned. No one would abandon me. Right. And when he told me that and he spoke that into me, I just remember bawling for myself for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. you're right. Like, my dad left me. He didn't ever try to contact me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not right. And he's like, but guess what? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. And so for him to give me truth and at the same time, like truth of what my circumstances were here on earth, but also at the same time who he was in our relationship. Again, he like decided to use all those situations to heal me. Wow. That's, uh, that's so beautiful. That's so interesting too, though, how you were like, you know, I was doing this mission work, which is obviously like a good thing. I'm helping these kids, but at the same time I was kind of using it to run, you know, and like not really acknowledge. And it's just so interesting how you ended up with these kids feeling such similar pain that you have, you know, exactly. That's so crazy. Can you tell us about what happened to you that night in Mexico? Oh, yes. So I was, um, I studied abroad at this college called UDLA, mm-hmm. and it's a very nice college in Mexico, very safe. Like the whole college is actually like 
gated and there's mm-hmm. all kinds of security officers everywhere there. And then I ended up moving back there just to become a, a teacher there. So I was hanging out with some of the girls from the volleyball team. So I played volleyball at, mm-hmm. the, at that college as well. And so I was hanging out with some of the girls of the volleyball team. But one thing about the Mexicans is that they stay out late. Like I remember <laughs> going to Quinceanera and there was a grandma next to me. It was 1 a.m. And I was oh like, I'm gosh. so tired. And yeah. she's like, why is this girl leaving so early? I'm like, <sighs> oh my goodness, I can't hang. I That's amazing. with them. I can't. Oh, it's horrible. But it's There'd culturally- be no way. No, it's culturally accepted that you do. And so I remember being at my friend's birthday party. I was like, I got to leave. Like, I'm so yeah. tired. I have to teach in the morning. Like, so they were like, I'll walk you to your car. I said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Like, this is your birthday. Like, stay mm-hmm. here. I We're safe. It's just down the street. I'll mm-hmm. be fine. But normally it's when it's a college town, it's busy. There's people walking all over streets. This night was eerily, scarily, like nobody was out. Mm. And I remember walking on the street, there was a group of people coming. And what I typically do, if it's like one person, I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'll cross right. the street. Mm-hmm. If it's a group of people that are wearing, you know, just, you just kind of profile them. You're like, oh, you're sure. wearing like nice clothes and you're like, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm a girl by yep. myself. I'm safe. Well, the first guy passes me. Um, and then the next guy passes me and he just ducks me in the face and I just black out. And so all I could remember is waking up in the middle of the street, um, and a taxi driver stopped and like got me up and just being so confused. And they, I mean, there, I had like bruises all over. So basically they sold me for my purse. And so what happened from that situation is this is what's so crazy about a seven. I was so in denial about how horrible that situation was that the next morning I woke up and said, okay, let me go get my visa. Cause I, my visa was in my purse. I'm like, and I'm fine. Like, let's go oh do and I'm living life as if it never happened. So you were walking to your car and a group of guys passed you and they just beat you up for your purse. Beat me up. And for my you purse. were knocked out. And you just remember waking up in the middle of the street with the taxi driver trying to help you. Yep. So you don't know how long you were out. Nope. <laughs> what were your injuries? Like you had bruises and cuts and stuff? Yeah, just bruises everywhere. I remember thinking, like, uh, once I did wake up from being passed out, I like lifted up my shirt because I thought I was stabbed. I have no idea why. It's just the adrenaline and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had marks all over, drag marks. I guess they dragged me in the street. <sighs> um, and so again, this this was traumatic. Yeah. And I literally oh, yeah. the next morning was like, all right, let's live life. It's fine. Like nothing ever happened. But what was so crazy, and again, we say the body keeps the score, is yeah. I was going to the grocery store. Um, and as I was in the grocery store, this one person started getting close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just screaming. I jumped and I go, <gasps> and I just screamed super oh, loud. Because, yeah. because if you think about it, your body's remembering the same experience, whether you choose to remember it or not. Mm. And so then I knew I was bad. And so I said, okay, you know, I need to go to counseling for this. And it was the most beautiful thing. What I say is I'm so thankful that that guy punched me in the face because it was a wake up call because all the trauma I experienced before that, I wasn't aware of how it was wreaking havoc on my body. And so that forced me to go into counseling. I did this three week counseling session and the, the most breakthroughs I've ever had happened right there. And so again, I was so this girl of like, I'm strong. I don't need a guy. I don't need a dad. I can live my life. I can have my own job. I can make my money. I can support myself. And at that moment, I realized I really am weak and that's okay. Mm. Like, it's okay that I have weaknesses. It's okay that I need somebody. And it's actually okay that I need God because I kind of didn't, in my mind, need him. I didn't rely on him for anything. And that moment I realized my like utter need for everything that he could possibly give me. So that's so crazy. So basically the attack in Mexico is what 
led you to counseling, which is where you really dealt with like more healing of your childhood and things like that. Oh yeah. And the things that I had no idea, um, they call it like different stressors. So there's like you stress, which is positive mm-hmm. stress. And then there's distress, which is the negative stress. Yeah. And he says that we have this like baseline. So if we have like our meter and it's in the middle, if you're always on the negative stress side consistently, it kind of in a way becomes your new baseline. So if you think about mm. stress, you're pumping cortisol, you're pumping all this other stuff. So really our bodies get so used to having such high levels that they're like, well, that's the new norm. But then he was saying, I kept kept on creating a new norm because my life, life was so stressful that I needed to remove every single stress for a season. And he also said to me at that time that like, Christy, you don't let triggers happen. And when they do happen, you don't let them in and grieve it. So it's like, let every single thing in. So when an emotion comes, let it come, mm. do what you need to do, and then let it go. And it was that simple. When he said it that way, yeah. it mm-hmm. was like, oh, that's all I have to do. And he goes, the thing is, you can choose to not, but you'll live the rest of your life this way if you do that. Yeah. Meaning like constantly having triggers, constantly having PTSD, or you can dig down deep, go into the valley with God, wrestle it out like crazy, And he said it was going to possibly almost kill me. Like it was going to be that much of depth and grief that I would struggle. But he goes on the other way out, on the other side out, there's so much joy that you'll ever experience. Mm -hmm. And it took three years, which is kind of crazy if someone's Mm -hmm. listening to this to say like, I don't know if I want to try it out. And then they're hearing three years like, okay, I definitely don't want to try it out. But you guys, I'm like years now after the fact. And I thank God that I was punched in the face that led me to counseling that led me to that. Yeah. That's so crazy. Do you feel like you ever still struggle with some PTSD at all? Like, do you get freaked out? You know, things like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the worst part about it is that, uh, the Incredibles movie too. There's a scene in there where this, the street slayer or whatever it's screen slayer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The screen. Wait, I know this, the screen saver. No. I what don't know it? what it is. I just remember. I'm yeah, going to look a, it up. I love that movie. <laughs> it's such a good movie. But remember he comes out when she's looking into his room and then it comes yes. out. like ah. That part where he came out, I screamed in the middle of a Pixar mm. movie. And I remember looking at Damien David goes, I know. And I said, I'm so embarrassed. So Aww. I do have PTSD yeah. still. But the thing is, we've worked through it. Yeah. So actually, I mean, we're, we're still thinking about doing more like EMDR or RRP yeah. is another one. Okay. And so that's just something that, again, when you don't realize you can, you can cognitively work through things. And there's some things that are so deep in the recesses that you have no idea that's still there. Yeah. And so totally. that's when you do the RRP and EMDR. What's RRP? It's like rapid release therapy and maybe okay. it's RRT. I, okay. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's similar to EMDR. I haven't gone through it, so I couldn't really fully explain it, but it, yeah. it helps, I guess, bring up some of those unconscious things. That's very cool. That's awesome. Um, man, I mean, I just, that's, uh, that's so much, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just yes. the fact that it's like you had gone through what you went through your whole childhood and then you're running from that, you know, essentially, and you're, you know, doing all this mission work, getting your life on track, like doing things that you feel like are right. And then it's like, you get attacked in the street, but now today you kind of acknowledge that as like, you're thankful because it got you into therapy and got you into counseling and got you where you are today. It's just, there's so much to that. I just think that that's so cool. And hindsight's 2020. You can see it perfectly, you know, and that's why I tell people when you're in the depths of grief or when you're going through something like hard and rough, like we just see, we have such narrow vision of what's Mm -hmm. actually happening and there's such a bigger picture. And so, you know, Romans 8, 28 says he works all 
things together for our good. And so you have to have the salty, you know, flavor, like that kind of season, the bitter season, the flower seasons, the dry seasons, you have to have those then to get those sugar sweet seasons that come up because totally that's what makes it good. And so yeah. I can't, it says he gives and takes away and blessed, you know, is his name. And so I cannot say, why are you causing that as well? I have to mm-hmm. say, God, I trust you. If yeah. I really trust my father, then even when I get punched in the face and pass out, I have to trust that that was for my good. Not saying that God did that to me. Right. However, everything that goes to us comes from the father's hands, goes through the father's hands, meaning that like Satan had to ask permission. Like mm-hmm. if, if evil's going to happen, God doesn't ca- like cause evil. He can't, he's too pure and too holy and too good. But if it goes through God's hands, Satan had to ask permission for that evil to happen. We think about the story of Job and mm-hmm. all the evil Job that had happened to Job. Yeah. God told God, God told Satan, that's okay. Yep. Do that mm-hmm. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But God blessed Job. Like, you know, double. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, on this side of eternity, I think when bad things happen to us, we can always say why. And I don't know if we'll ever understand the answer to that. Right. So I just don't think that's a question we need to constantly have to know the answer to. I think what we have to figure out is who God is. What does mm-hmm. he want for our life? Um, and just cling to those promises. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we're not... I, 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 I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think we're going to know why. You know what I mean? Like, people go through really, really horrible things, you horrible. know? And we don't understand why. You know what I mean? There's not going to be a reason that somebody can give us that would satisfy us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what could someone say to you that would make you be like, oh, in that case, yeah, perfect. Yup, all good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, of course not. You know, like, suffering is suffering, you know? Yes. Um but I, I agree with you. It's like being able to walk through it and know, okay, like God was with me through that. He's with yep. me now, you know? And so like, what am I going to do with that? Like, what am yep. I going to do with my pain? What am I going to do with my suffering? Exactly. So talk to me about, so you come home then from Mexico and kind of <laughs> tell me about your life then after that. Yeah. So honestly, I just, again, when I think about following the Lord, I think a lot of people think, okay, once I follow him, my life is going to be great. Yeah. Peachy. Yes. And everything's going to be awesome. But when I realize, I'm like, no, he's trying to sanctify us. And what does sanctification look like? It's refining. And they use this, the analogy of refining gold being refined in the fire. So I'm like, who wants fire seasons? I know I don't. And I remember thinking like, Lord, am I just going to be refined the rest of my life? And Mm -hmm. there's been very really rough like seasons where I feel rubbed against all the time. I'm like, can I just have some peace and quiet and joy and not hard seasons? And so going through that, I mean, like, I feel like Paul in scripture, when he talked about the whole list, he's like, I've been shipwrecked. I've been this, I've been that, I've been flogged. I've been in in jail. Like really the list was long. Like I was robbed in the middle of the night and I was woken up to them coming into my room. No. I had a fire like happen. I was on the third floor and the fire happened in the apartment on the second floor and the firefighters in the morning was kicking down my door with my six month old and it was negative two temperatures. I'm trying to get her out. Oh like, my goodness. I, I mean, I, I mean, I can think about, I was stalked at one point where I had oh. to get a protective order. I, you know, you you think oh. about all the things and it, it felt like every single year I was in an accident where I was told I might not ever um, play sport, like, run again, walk like, and so I lost all feeling in my arms. So I was in a bed for one month straight. I, I mean, I can go on and on about everything that happened. And every time I was like, God, I don't know why this year, this is the big thing again. 
Yeah. And, and not just, but, but, and I trust you. So like, Mm -hmm. what is this that's going on with all of this? Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's insane. Um, So tell me about your daughter, Natalia. Yeah. So with Natalia, I had, I always talk about the whole analogy of like, don't, don't make those little yeses Mm -hmm. because you're going to take the big yes. And so Mm -hmm. I made little yeses. And so, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, I ended up coming back from Mexico, kind of still bruised and beaten up. Like that happened. The assault happened two weeks before I came back to the States. I was going to live back in the States. And um, so I was just looking for, you know, my friend group and my friends at this point, after four years of me being gone, I felt like it was pushed on pause, my life back in the States. And when I would get home, they would push play and then they would invite me everywhere. And they had lived the past four years without me. They moved on. They moved on. They weren't like texting me left and right. And like, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, so I have to create a whole new community. Like this is different. And so the community I found, one of the guys in that group, um, I started making little yeses with him that ended up me getting pregnant out of wedlock. And so Mm -hmm. we weren't married. We ended up getting a lot of counsel. And after five months of being pregnant and me praying every single night, crying about being pregnant, Mm -hmm. uh, I had peace of let's get married. And this it's, what's crazy is what I struggle with the most in my marriage was, um, it was not a healthy marriage. And when we were getting marriage counseling for a year, um, that same piece I had to marry him was the same piece God gave me to leave him mm-hmm. and divorce him. And I remember crying, crying like, God, I don't believe in divorce. I don't mm-hmm. like you say in scripture that if anyone marries a divorced woman, they're an adulterer. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm like this, I can't be divorced. I can't be the stigma. And I remember him just saying, it's going to be okay. And the woman who was my counselor uh, was so amazing, just leading the way in that. And I asked, I asked her, I said, I don't understand why God would do this. Like mm-hmm. he promised, he promised. And she goes, God's not a God of our expectations. He's a God of his promises. So you expected this 60 year marriage or 80 year marriage with this man. But God said that if you guys both submit, it takes two to submit. Yeah. And so not both were submitting. And so mm-hmm. when, when she put it that way, it was like, yeah, God didn't promise this, that I would mm-hmm. have this happy marriage. And you're, and you're right. And so mm-hmm. here I am, this divorced woman thinking in, in a way, in a dramatic way that my life was over. Yeah. Like here, I, 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 before this, I, before getting pregnant, you know, um, I was really esteemed at my church. Like mm-hmm. any trip they needed someone to take, they would call me up and they would, you know, pay for my whole trip for missions and everything. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like, I just felt like I was the stigma that didn't belong. And so mm-hmm. I remember after my divorce saying, okay, God, I'll be the janitor cleaning toilets, serving you and, and enjoy do that. Like, I don't want anyone to know me. I don't want, um, I don't want to be in leadership anymore. It's, 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 it's horrible. Like, you know, Christian leadership. And so I ended up going to resonate church where my now husband was the the pastor Mm -hmm. and I ended up serving in the very back corner I could find in children's Mm -hmm. ministry and just, uh, did it that way. And what was neat was how God was like, even though you want to hide, I'm still going to have you be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and he showed me my worth. He showed what I, you know, what I deserved, but Mm -hmm. what was crazy is I, I, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like I deserved anything. I felt like I messed up my whole entire life at that point. Yeah. Something that I, I love about your story and I hope this is okay to say, but I think that some people assume like, okay, so this is how it's going to go. Like I like, you know, we'll be going on this one path and like, let's, I'm making mistakes and whatever. And then it's like, oh, I like found Jesus. I have this spiritual experience. And then everything from there is just going to be, 
on an upward trend. Like it's just going to be perfect. And I'm going to like make the right decisions because I have Jesus living inside of me and blah, blah, blah. But what I love about your story is that you're like, yes, I found Jesus. Yes. I, you know, was in counseling and yes, I was working on myself, but like I was still stumbling, you know what I mean? And that's something that Um, My dad actually says a lot that like being a Christian is just stumbling in the right direction. It's not like this, like perfect, like, and I always make the right choice and like, things are just getting better and better. Like that's not life. You know? know. I mean, I was the country club Christian before it was like that, you know, everything was peachy and great. And the moment I became a believer was like, that was when everything went downhill, Yeah, you know? And I try to tell people that all the time, like, when you think about the best people in scripture, like mm-hmm. literally when God says like the best people that you want, Abraham would have been on that list. Mm-hmm. And you would think about what Abraham did when he was known to be the most righteous, faithful person at that time. Mm-hmm. He impregnated his servant and then mm-hmm. sent them off away, like his yep. own son and servant. I think about how horrible, horrible of a human being that was. Totally. You know, like let your son go in the middle of the desert to die. Yes. It doesn't make any sense. And so when I think about us, like we can shame ourselves of the decisions that we've made. Mm -hmm. But I also know that God is the most gracious God. And Mm -hmm. so when I think about what we've done, I'm like, man, that's the whole reason Jesus had to die on the cross. Like Mm -hmm. me being a country club Christian, thinking I, out of my own works, can be perfect and live this perfect life. That's just not true. Mm -hmm. Like my foundation set me up for failure. It really Mm -hmm. did. And I was going to make dumb decisions because I just wasn't built around wisdom. And now I I see Davey and I see his life and Mm -hmm. he grew up in a great foundation. Mm -hmm. So the decisions he made was based on that. And so now, like after all this time and experience and walking with the Lord, I could say now I'm like still making dumb decisions, you know, and still sitting like crazy. But the thing is, it's just such a difference because now I know my confidence where it comes from. And there's such a difference in that. Yeah. So what helped you switch from that posture of like shame, you know, so you felt like, okay, so like I have this failed marriage, like now I'm a single mom and I'm, I'm ashamed. Like, I feel like at church people see me as like, oh, like first she got pregnant. Now she's divorced. Like, and you, and you felt embarrassed and ashamed of that. Like what helped you realize like God doesn't see you that way and like help you shift that? Well, I think like we can white knuckle our way into all that. And I did in the beginning, I I literally overcompensated by coming in, like strutting, like, I don't care what you think, but I really did care what everybody thought if I had that kind of, you know, mentality. And so what really changed was again, how that, like we talk about the emotion laden experience. So I didn't feel loved or cherished by God. And I felt like I didn't deserve him. Like, mm-hmm. and so when Davy started pursuing me, mm-hmm. I remember thinking he doesn't know who he's dealing with. Like he, his first wife, um, she was very faithful with the Lord. Like they, you know, she saved herself for marriage. Like mm-hmm. all the things that you think of, like in a Christian woman, like the Proverbs 31 woman, like you'd be like, that's Amanda, like super faithful, super obedient, like never veered away. Yeah. And I was like, not anywhere close to that. It's like, I, I was stumbling the whole entire time. And so I thought like, why would he want me so stained? You know, yeah. I saw myself as stained, even though God says that we're pure and holy and righteous in his mm-hmm. eyes because of what Jesus did on the cross. I could not fathom that. So I just, I told, I remember one night and I invited Davey over to my apartment mm-hmm. to break up with him. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to tell him, so that way I wouldn't break up with him and hurt him. I wanted him to break up with me. So I was going to tell yes. him all the bad stuff I did. 
Mm-hmm. And so I just started going down the list. I was like, I just want to tell you stuff. So you just know like who you're dating. And I just named it all. Mm-hmm. And what was so crazy, it still makes me tear up today. Every time I tell this story is that he just looked at me and I could see just Jesus so much in his eyes. And he just said like, man, it's crazy. Cause the world, like what I normally naturally should think should be just not like liking any of that. But like, what's crazy. It's, it's endearing me to you right now. And mm-hmm. I actually like, I like you more because of that. Mm-hmm. And for him to say that, I remember for the first time understanding fully what Jesus meant with my word and how he loves and cherishes me, even though I'm a sinner. And this, in spite of me, he still chooses me every single day. Yeah. I think that's beautiful how God used him in your life. You know what I mean? Because I think sometimes we think, oh no, like uh, if if someone else like says it, then that's not like me like hearing from the Lord in my quiet time. Like, do you know what I mean? Like we think that it always has to be this like very, like I was praying and I felt the Lord, you know, like kind of say to me, or I was reading this verse and it spoke to me. And like, that's true, but also like God can speak to us through other people. And I think that that's really beautiful that Davey, this guy that you were dating, like said this stuff to you that helped to heal you. Oh yeah. And I think too, God knew exactly what it would take. And he knows exactly what each person, it's not going to be a guy every single time, you know, it's going to be whatever God knows that you're going to get healed from. And so Mm -hmm. I remember talking to my counselor about that. Like, I don't need a guy to heal me. I don't need Davy in my life. I feel like I'm, I'm I'm now being with Davy. I'm triggered left and right. And it's Mm -hmm. showing me that I'm not healed well. And so Mm -hmm. I need to heal before I date Davy. So I was going to break up with him again. This is probably the fifth time, you know, I was going to break up with him. And so she just looked at me and she said, Christy, don't you think God knows exactly what we need? I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, do you think when a surgeon goes into surgery that the surgeon is actually the one that heals the person or that God directs the surgeon's hand to heal the person? I said, well, that one. He goes, exactly. So Davey is using, uh, God is using Davey as your surgeon. Yeah. I said, I don't want that. I don't need Mm -hmm. a guy to do it. God could use a donkey. He could use a rock. He could use anything to like heal me. Like it says in scripture that he can do anything. And and she said, but the thing is the, the very thing that wounded you so deeply needs to be the very thing that helps heal you. Oh. And so allow God to step into that with you and allow Davy to be that vessel for that. That's awesome. That, that really, beautiful. really is. That's so beautiful. So can you tell me about like, what were some of your fears, like getting into a relationship with Davey? Like, so you already said, like, you obviously felt insecure about the fact that like, okay, like his first wife was this like, quote unquote, good girl, like, you know, anything that you would want, like she seemed perfect. And so like, that was a, a hurdle for you to kind of get past. Like what else was hard for you about that? I know that you aren't someone that necessarily loves like the limelight and like (laughs) Davey was someone that people knew when he was the pastor and there was all this media and stuff. Well, I think the biggest, like, and I hate saying red flags, maybe yellow flags, you know, that were were going on with me with him was just the fact that, yeah, he was more known at that Mm -hmm. time. And, um, I knew that the media would make a big deal once he got engaged. And, um, at that time, I think like on my Instagram, I was so private. I think I had five friends on my Instagram because I, I would not accept people. And my friends were like, Christy, we're friends. Why don't you accept people? I'm like, <laughs> we're friends in real life. Yes. I was like, <laughs> it, it, we're friends in real life. You know my life. You see my daughter. I don't have to show you pictures. I'm like, I'm only friends with people overseas that yeah, like, yeah. don't see my daughter. So I'm like, I don't want, I don't, I have a private life. Mm-hmm. So anyways, like going into that, I knew people were going to try searching for me. 
Yeah. And then I just remember feeling insecure. Like, what are they going to try to dig up on me? Like, yes. And then now I have to go face to face with the stuff that I've done and my demons and my skeletons and like, just knowing how media can be. So that was a big fear of mine. And just also feeling like I wasn't enough. Like, why God would you use me to like help speak into anybody's life? Like, why would you have me be a part of this? And then just knowing too, um, how hard it was going to be to be a pastor's wife. I was so hurt in the Christian church. That's like a whole other story for a whole other time. Yeah. Um, but just the church hurt is strong. And I feel like so many people and Christians and just people are just hurt by, by Christians and by the church. Yes. So mine was so, so strong that I remember being like, I will never, and I used, I use that word. I will never be involved in a church on that level. And here I am going to be one of those people that can cause hurt to everybody else. And what was so beautiful is yeah. I caused hurt even if I didn't say hi to people. And I yes. realized, I just realized like, wow, maybe the people that hurt me never really hurt me. I just took it personally. Mm. And so they healed me too. So again, another aspect was being you know, a pastor's wife. And another aspect was just like diving into a life that like, a lot of the people that started the church with Davy and everything were with Amanda. And so I knew there was going to be a lot of grief there. So like stepping into his friendships and everything, knowing that like, it would be very hard for them to accept me. And so I just knew overall, this was just going to be a hard life. Um, the safety issue too. Again, you think about how unsafe I felt for most of my life. And now right. I'm going to bring my child into this. Sure. Um, now there's his child as well. Like I remember praying, can I love Weston like my own son? And if I cannot, I will not marry Davey. And God mm-hmm. made it clear how much I loved Weston. I will, I will give mm-hmm. my life for Weston. So he's my son. And so mm-hmm. there were just so many uh, barriers and like hurdles. And it's still hard, you know, being married to someone in that light. Being married mm-hmm. to any pastor is yes. just very difficult. Trust so, me. Yes. My husband was a pastor for six years, the last six oh, years. <laughs> and I get it, you know, and like we're, we went through a, a season of church hurt and the whole nine yards. And it's like, I'm right there with you. Like I get all sides of it. You know what I mean? Yes. Where it's like, I've been hurt. I've also caused hurt unknowingly. You yes. know what I mean? And it's just like, it's so complex. It really it is. is. Yes. It really is. Oh man. So through despite all of that, so you were nervous, you know, dating this guy who like was a pastor, was public to some degree, you know, all of that. Were you nervous about Natalia? Like, were you nervous to let him bond with her? And then like, oh, what if it doesn't work out? Like what was kind of like going through your head with that? Oh yeah. So before even dating Davey, I just had this rule in my mind. Like I would not introduce her to people if like, if it didn't seem like it might be going further. And like, yeah. and then I started to, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. Now at this point, she's met a couple of people and now they're gone out of her life. And so I just remember feeling like a failure at that mm-hmm. and just feeling like, okay, I need to protect her. I don't, she doesn't need to be, you know, around another male and she doesn't need to know like that mom has boyfriends or whatever. Sure. And so yeah. when Davey and I dated, yeah, there was a fear with that. So I told him, I'm like, we will never hold hands. We'll mm-hmm. never hug, kiss anything in front of her. We, uh, I was just very, very particular about how we acted. We're friends. We'll hang out in group settings with them. Mm-hmm. But then once it started over time, I was like, this is it. We just knew it. Um, and it took a long time. I mean, it took a while for us to even say that we loved each other. Yeah. Just because we were very careful with everything. So yeah, yeah. that was a that was a huge piece of it. Yeah. I mean, you have to be, you each, like you said, you each had a child, like you have to be careful. And that was obviously responsible. So how has blending families (laughs) gone for you? Like, is it all 
delightful all the time. <laughs> you know, they have a whole podcast of blending families for that reason. I think, yeah. I think those who don't blend, uh, it's hard to understand because I remember yeah. not understanding it before than now doing it mm-hmm. and listening to that podcast. I remember just crying for the first time about it yeah. because there's a lot of layers. Not so only much. are you blending, but you're blending in grief, you know? So Weston's yes. my, my son. Like I don't have to share Weston with another parent, like another mom, but Natalia has another dad. Yeah. So then you have that aspect. So it's like, where does Davey, like, where's his like relationship and how is he a dad? And so trying to like, like fast forward time in a way, like with them. So I remember holding Weston one time and he was three when we got married mm-hmm. and just crying. Cause I couldn't, I didn't rock him to sleep as a baby. Like, mm. and just feeling like now, if I try to like rock him, to, he's not a baby he's anymore. Big. Yeah. 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 I'm going to like re- regress him to being a baby. So I have to treat him as a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old. Yeah. So I remember crying, like thinking I'll never get that time back with him. Mm. So there's, there's constant. And then you have the grieving family members and everything like that. Yeah. And so you have people that were involved in his life before where they, they had an ownership of him, you know, before, yeah. because there was a lack of a parent and now there's a new parent. And is this the evil stepmom or is this a mom who loves him? You know? Yes, and so yes. you're just navigating waters that are just not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, because God, what God, the norm should be what God wanted the man and the woman getting married. But then like, at the same time, this happens, people pass, there's things that yes. happen. So honestly, we're noticing that more and more, there's more blending families out there. There's oh, yeah. so many dynamics with it and just so many conversations. But again, yeah, it's been hard. And mm-hmm. I would say we're in a good stride this year and we're in mm-hmm. our, you know, fourth year. Now we're going to our fifth year. <laughs> yeah. I have two best friends that have blended families. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very unique. Of course, like, are they happy? Do they love their family? A thousand percent, you know, but there yes. are unique struggles to that. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And I just think it's beautiful that you guys have made it work, you know? What do you feel like you attribute the success of your family? You know, here you have you that you were raised in an abusive home. You went through that attack in Mexico. You, you know, went through a divorce, like all of this stuff. Like you said, the fire, like all you have so <laughs> all this stuff that you've been through. Yeah. You have Davey who's been through the murder of his yeah. wife, you know, like his pregnant wife. Like these are two people that have been through more than some people will ever go through. Yeah. And you have somehow managed to come together and have a loving, successful marriage and children. Like, what do you attribute the success of that to? You know, people run away from pain and trauma. Uh, They run away from anything that might hurt them because they don't want to go through difficult times. I mean, that's, we want comfort. Yeah. Um, what I would say is the deeper you go into grief and trauma, the more wise like wisdom that God gives you. And yeah. I think your relationship and your foundation with him is so strong that they say again, that cliche, like when the winds come and the rain comes, like your house is still standing on the rock. But I truly, truly believe that like, I used to think that was like a weird verse. Cause I'm like, man, I'm, I guess I'm on the sand because my house always falls down, you know, mm. but watching us, the way we're doing our life, like I realized that was the foundation was us in the trenches with God, in the fire with God. So then when we did marry each other, we were already so mature enough that we could communicate about all the hard things. We were already in a deep relationship with the Lord that he would convict us when there was stuff going on. So, I mean, honestly, like 
I think what's the attribution I, I would attribute to, first of all, our relationship with the Lord and the things that we went through, but even just our maturity level of going through it. So the first, I think, two years was just trying to figure out all of the dynamics and trying to grow within that. And so mm-hmm. if we didn't have a relationship with the Lord, if we didn't consistently seek his face, like, I don't think we would be where we're at today. I think we would still be 10 years later saying how hard blending is. And I just feel like this past year, we're like, okay, we we, we can do this. We can, we got yeah. this. Mm, that's so beautiful. That really is so beautiful. And as a fun fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the note of blending families, at your wedding, I believe that Amanda's dad was one of the men who walked you part of the way down the aisle. Is that right? Yes, yes. And so what's crazy is if, I think if, if you have people that are listening that didn't have like a great father figure or if their dad left them, they had nobody. We, we fear walking down the aisle. I didn't totally. want, I didn't want anyone looking at me saying, I, I feel sorry for her that she doesn't have a dad that can do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have a stepdad, uh, Davey's dad is a part of my life as well. And then Amanda's dad. And I did not, I told Davey, I go, I don't want to walk down the aisle. I told him, I go, can I just stand in the front? Like when everyone shows up, I'm already in the front, like kind of how you are. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, this is, this is some symbolic. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is very important and let me handle it. Trust mm-hmm. me for me to trust a man who I wasn't married to at the time. No kidding. Yeah. To the most vulnerable, honestly, I dreaded this for years. Like mm-hmm. the most vulnerable thing I could ever do and the first person that I saw was my stepdad and he started and I thought we would just go the whole way. And, you know, honestly, like I was hoping, you know, the moment that the, your father sees you and they cry because you look so beautiful. Like, yeah. you know, I didn't get that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, and I remember just being like this, I knew it. I knew this was the wrong choice. I should have just walked up there. Like I should have just done this because this is going to be horrible. And then he passes me off to Davy's dad and mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't even hold it in. I'm like, wow, like now this is a second father figure in my life. And then yeah. as we're going, I thought we'd finish the rest of the way. Then Phil stopped and I was about to lose it. Yeah. Like, God, yeah. you gave me fathers in different ways. Yeah. And I don't need to be embarrassed about my life and everything because yeah. you are my heavenly father. It's such a beautiful, beautiful view of who God really is. That is so beautiful. It really, really is. Honestly, like I just, I love that. I think that you and Davey are an inspiration, honestly. Like what mm-hmm. you both have been through, like I said, you've each been through more than a lot of people have ever been through and might ever go through, you know? And you've just used it to increase your faith and also help so, so many other people. Uh, well, that's our prayer. That's our life goal. So I'm so thankful that we can use that pain and bring it again, like how cliche, pain to purpose, but that's our whole, that's our Abs- whole vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I let you go, tell us again, where can we find your cookbook? Where can we find you? Like if people, you know, want to follow you, I know like now you have a public Instagram. Yeah. Right? You have more, you have more than five followers now. Yeah. It was, it was private for even till 10,000. I kept it private. I was like, I'm not doing this, but yeah. So, um, I'm Christy.blackburn.niw on Instagram. And then also just christyblackburn.com has my cookbook. And also once the meal plan comes out in February 15th, then it'll have all that as well. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you so much, Christy. Oh, I almost forgot. We always end by asking our guests, what is your favorite snack right now? And this will be fun because you're a cookbook author. Oh my goodness. This is so hard because I'm like on this whole no dairy, sugar, and gluten. And so the snack, it's usually something like, uh, oh yeah, no, this is the best one. I'm a child at heart. And so um, 
I love chocolate milk. Isn't that kind of weird? Ooh, you're like my husband. Oh, it's so weird. I would go in Mexico and they, they have this thing called Choco Meal and it's chocolate milk. And you would order, I would order at sushi restaurants. That's how much of a child I'm at. Oh so my gosh. I created this whole almond milk with like no sugar, all this stuff. And so that's my favorite snack. I do that all the time. I love that. Oh, I got to look into that. It's so funny. One time my husband was at a restaurant and he genuinely ordered chocolate milk and the waitress thought he was joking. And she was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. and then he was like too embarrassed. And he was like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. yeah it's so I'll funny. take water. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my wife wanted the chocolate milk. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Seriously, he was like, uh, okay. But he was like, dang, I really wanted it. I was like, sorry. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, well, I truly cannot thank you enough. This was amazing. You are fantastic. I know that this conversation is going to help so many people. So thank you oh, so I much, Christy. So. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.